This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where something odd is happening to the COVID casualty reports. The health department usually updates the number shortly after 11 a.m., but on Wednesday, the stats were delayed for six hours without explanation, except to say the state surgeon general plans to make some changes in the way fatalities are reported. When the numbers were finally released, the health department recorded 105 new deaths, 2,145 new cases of COVID-19. The pandemic has also claimed 1,600 more jobs. That's the number of employees being laid off by an Orlando timeshare company. Congressman Charlie Crist goes to bat for union workers in Florida, including the Postal Service. The USPS has become a pawn in the presidential campaign, and the employees are fed up. We feel that the service to the American people is what we want to do every day. And we don't want any deterrence from making that, and that's what we're seeing now. You'll see today people are afraid to put stuff in the mail. Environment Florida releases a new report on the increased use of renewable energy. They say we've come a long way over the past decade. A decade ago, solar panel on every roof or windmills in every single town may have seemed like a fantasy. But the growth in Florida and other states like it are proving that this clean energy dream is on its way to becoming a reality. Turns out Florida is a national leader in electric vehicles, but the Sunshine State lags in, of all things, solar energy. Today on Sunrise In-Depth, you'll hear from some of the civil justice protesters talking about the governor's proposal to crack down on demonstrations. That proposal shows that the governor is not only a poor leader, but that he wants to govern by fear. And I think that people who want to govern by fear are probably very cowardly themselves, or they wouldn't be doing this. This is a cowardly proposal. We'll also check out your calendar of political events and close the show with two Florida Man stories that include flying squirrels and meat cleavers. And let me put your mind at rest. They did not use the cleavers on the squirrels. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, October 22nd. Today is National Nut Day. It honors the snack, not the candidates. Florida's daily report on coronavirus casualties was delayed for about six hours Wednesday while the State Department of Health released a statement saying it would change the way it investigates fatalities. Florida Surgeon General Dr. Scott Rivke says they'll begin reviewing all deaths reported to the state more thoroughly. Now, 105 new deaths and 2,145 new cases of COVID-19 were reported Wednesday. There have now been almost 763,000 cases and 16,413 fatalities in Florida. Some of the latest victims of coronavirus are the employees of Orlando-based Hilton Grand Vacations. That's one of the country's largest timeshare companies. After more than six months of unpaid furloughs, 1,600 employees are being permanently laid off. The company blames it on the prolonged impact of COVID-19 and the uncertainty of how long the pandemic will go on. A company spokesman would not say how many of those employees being laid off at the end of the month are actually based in Orlando. But back in July, Hilton notified the state it would be extending furloughs for 1,550 people at nine Orlando locations. In the midst of the COVID crisis, St. Petersburg Congressman Charlie Crist is standing up for union workers, including the men and women of the U.S. Postal Service. Crist hosted a media call with several union members, including Natasha Peterson. She's with the Florida Rural Letter Carriers Association. I've never worked this hard. I've, I've worked more hours than I, I ever have worked in my life. So right now, um, I can tell you, I feel like we're at our lowest point of employment. Um, we need immediate 
immediate relief of employees. I know the unions have signed many MOUs to allow the use of employees in a different role that we've never agreed to before, but it's still not enough. I don't know of any office that's properly staffed and it's causing a significant burden on the workers. And also because our coworkers are out because of COVID. Kids are back in school. A lot of the workers get a call that their child has been exposed to school and they need to now stay home and take care of their child and see if their child is infected by COVID. I only think that's gonna get worse as the numbers rise and what we're seeing right now in the data. And unfortunately, I think that's gonna coincide with a heavy holiday Christmas package volume. And we're gonna see some things that we've never experienced. Every Christmas, we always say, this is the worst Christmas ever. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, this is gonna be the worst Christmas ever that we've ever seen. We just don't have enough employees. Being short-staffed during a pandemic and an election is bad enough. But Al Friedman with the National Association of Letter Carriers says they're also under attack by the president and the head of the Postal Service for purely political purposes. We feel that the service to the American people is what we want to do every day. And we don't want any deterrence from making that. And that's what we're seeing now. You'll see today people are afraid to put stuff in the mail because of what they've done of making this a political, like I've always said, a football, and yeah. all we ever want to do is just put the mail in. When people are start afraid to use the mail, and I'll give you an example, Regions mm -hmm. Bank just sent something out to all their customers that you cannot trust the service to be on time anymore, encouraging all their bankers to go online, and they're looking at sending out your new credit cards through FedEx. This is getting to be an epidemic with businesses thinking that we can't do the job that we need to do. The VA, I know you're very, very in tune to what happens at the VA. The sure. medications is another avenue. They're looking for UPS to start delivering more of that medication because of delay. And we're waiting for this snowball after November 4th. What's going to come after that is what we're really worried about. You know, what kind of you know, treatment is it going to be? What kind of, you know, deterioration in the service are we going to see? The House approved a financial bailout for the Postal Service as part of their COVID relief bill called the HEROES Act, but the Senate has ignored it for months. Congressman Christ believes that will change after the election. What we've seen, you know, early voting started on Monday in Florida, in, in most counties at least, and it's been record setting. I can tell you here in Tampa Bay, both Hillsborough and Pinellas County have already set records in just the first two days in terms of the amount of people that have voted. In Florida, overall, more than 3 million Floridians have already cast their vote in this election. That's amazing. And uh, it gives me great hope. And, and what's important about that as it relates to what we were just talking about and the Senate not taking up the vote that the House passed to get a second $3 trillion to American people, after the election, there's gonna be a lot of new people in Washington. It's gonna be people who understand what we're talking about on this call right now. Because, you know, people have had it. And I think we're going to have a new administration, too. I think Biden's going to win. And I think he's going to win Florida. And if that happens, it's game over. And as much as Trump talked about helping working people when he ran in 2016, it hasn't delivered. And, and the way he's done this uh, reaction to the pandemic is a disaster. I mean, telling people you don't have to wear a mask and, you know, attacking Fauci, you know, the guy who's our leading healthcare expert and just telling the truth, and it upsets the president because it's not good for his political future, is insane. 
Uh, and, and so that's why I have faith. And that's why I believe that the things we're talking about right now are going to be able to be put into action once this election is concluded and we're less than two weeks out. Help is on the way is the is the bottom line of that. Environment Florida is out with a new report on the rise of renewable energy in Florida over the past decade. And Florida looks pretty good in some areas. One measure is the use of electric vehicles. And Susan Glickman with the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy says we're kicking butt in that category. We're number two. We have 4% of the sales in the entire nation. Um, and the reason it's so important is because of the role that transportation plays in this. We have an opportunity to protect Florida's economy by greatly reducing these greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, climate change threatens all the pillars of our economy with agriculture, tourism, um, real estate development. So this is an opportunity while we are helping people protect their health and save money. So that's why it's a really exciting good news story. Consumer Reports just came out with some analyses that the average typical driver is gonna save between six and $10,000 on the life of a vehicle. So you get to drive a fun, um, anybody out there who's driven electric vehicles know how incredibly exciting and fun they are to drive. I don't even like to drive, but it's uh, you can take off and uh, uh, you know race people at the stoplight if you like, and I promise you, you will win. And that's that's all of the electric vehicles. It's not, not just Tesla's, but Nissan Leaf. And um, if anybody saw the, um, it's unbelievable, the Hummer people are coming out with an electric vehicle. And I saw that commercial for the first time last night. So the good news story is we get to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We get to save people significant amounts of money. But when it comes to solar energy, the Sunshine State simply doesn't measure up. Katie Ottenweller is the Southeast Director of Vote Solar. That's a group that concentrates on advancing solar power in Florida, Georgia, and the Gulf states. Right now, we really don't have very much rooftop solar in Florida, despite what it may sound like when the utilities talk about it. Uh, only half of a percent of Florida customers have installed rooftop solar. Um, and rooftop solar is just a small slice of overall solar investments that have been made in the state of Florida. But even when you look at that bigger slice, Florida is still at under 2% um, in terms of how much electricity we are getting from solar energy. Compare that to California with 14%, Vermont with 5%, North Carolina with 4.5%. Even Georgia has more solar energy. Um, than Florida does in the Sunshine State. So we've got a long way to go, even though we've started to make some strides in the last couple of years. State Representative Anna Escamani of Orlando is the sponsor of a bill that commits Florida to going with 100% renewable energy, and it's gone absolutely nowhere in the legislature. Escamani says the problem is that the big investor-owned utilities have a monopoly. They also have a lock on the legislature and pretty much set the agenda for the Public Service Commission, which is supposed to be regulating them. We have seen incredible strides. The energy report definitely reflects that. And yet we still have a long way to go. We've seen cities like my own set their own renewable energy goals because of the state's inaction on that issue. And we've taken the PSC, the Public Service Commission, toe-to-toe, -to -toe, pushing this oversight arm not only on energy efficiency programs, which they attempted to dismantle and have continued to drag their feet on, but we also know the PSC is currently attempting to completely eliminate net metering. And it doesn't have to be that way. I think that's what's so frustrating is that we do have states like Colorado where the private sector is working hand in hand, you know, to support the, these type of efforts. And Florida should be doing the same thing. But 
we do have um, really heavy handed, I think, politics in the state that kind of restrict the competition. And there are, there are compromises to be made and that needs to be on the table. That needs to be a part of the, a part of the package, you know, pursuing growth with renewable energy, energy efficiency. If you're wondering why you don't hear this sort of talk from most lawmakers, it's all about money. Representative Eskimani is one of those rare Florida politicians who will not accept campaign donations from utilities. She's free to say the sort of things that other lawmakers may think, but would never say out loud for fear of losing that sweet, sweet utility money. Next up on Sunrise In Depth, civil justice protesters targeted by the governor tee off on Ron DeSantis, calling him just another Southern governor in the tradition of George Wallace. But first, a message from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged. Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to Sunrise. Black Lives Matter demonstrators in Tallahassee claim the governor's push for a crackdown on protest is a continuation of Jim Crow policies and is designed to distract you from the real problems, white supremacy and police brutality. Ron DeSantis has proposed a new law, making it much easier to arrest protesters and charge them with felonies. Delilah Pierre with Students for a Democratic Society says Draconian doesn't even begin to describe it. Ron DeSantis claims that he cares about and fights for what he claims is peaceful protesting, but is putting outrageous claims, outrageous criminal offenses for what he claims are violent and disorderly conduct, giving things like third-degree felonies when seven or more persons are involved in an assembly and cause damage to property or injury to other persons. And this can be as simple as a light push to someone else or something else. Giving things such as a prohibition on obstructing roadways for a third-degree felony for obstructing traffic, traffic during an unpermitted protest, demonstration, or as he claims, violent or disorderly assembly. Driver is not liable for injury or death caused if fleeing from safety from a mob. So basically, if you have a car and you are in the presence of protesters and you run them over, that's legal. That's something you're allowed to do now. That's something you can do now. These laws are totally skewed and biased. Um, They assume that Tallahassee protesters, as well as protesters across Florida, have been acting in a violent and disorderly manner, and they punish people for enacting their democratic rights doing what they can to stop police brutality and repression in the state. It's ridiculous that things have even come to this point, that police officers can murder multiple people and basically get away with it without any punishment, and yet we're the ones who are violent and radical. Bill Davis is a retired attorney and longtime activist who's been marching in protest since the 70s when he attended the FSU Law School. He says the governor's proposal is blatantly unconstitutional and is designed to put fear in the hearts of peaceful protesters. A lot of it was probably uh, electioneering, uh, grandstanding, political grandstanding, trying to distract people, trying to look like uh, they're doing something about a fear uh, that they're creating. They're creating an atmosphere of fear. And, uh, uh, and so I say that that proposal shows that the governor is not only a poor leader, but that he wants to governed by fear. Uh, And I think that people who want to govern by fear 
are probably very cowardly themselves, or they wouldn't be doing this. This is a cowardly proposal. They have strong laws. Uh, they, uh, but they, they, they have some kind of a, of a gut a connection to people that they have made afraid, and that's their base. And that's why they have proposing this, so maybe it could pass. Uh, we have to do everything we can to keep this from passing, and we have to fight this law. Wells Todd is a longtime activist with the Jacksonville Progressive Coalition. He says the governor is a modern-day version of George Wallace, who fought to preserve segregation in the 50s and 60s. We are in the Deep South, and the Deep South is the gatekeeper of white supremacy. DeSantis is just another Southern politician, like Southern politicians that have come before him, like George Wallace. And so what we see DeSantis doing and what we see um, Trump doing is taking the focus off of institutionalized racism, taking the focus off of white supremacy, taking the focus off of the needs of the people and what the people are fighting for, and turning it around to make it seem like the people are the criminals, the people are the anarchists, the people are the communists, the people are the socialists. And we've seen this happen time and time again. You know, when you look back at the struggle, we see anybody who has the audacity to challenge institutionalized racism, to challenge and speak out against the inequities and oppression and economic exploitation of capitalism. You are an enemy of the state. We know this. But what we also know is that we're not going to stop fighting. What we also know is that we're not going to come out of the streets. What we also know is that these threats of charging people with felonies for marching against criminal acts that have been carried out against us for hundreds of years. Those threats are not going to silence us. And no matter who wins the election in November, Todd and other civil justice activists are not expecting much in the way of change. They say Democrats really aren't much better than Republicans when it comes to policing the police. Your calendar of events, well, early voting expands into Baker, Columbia, Hardy, and Highlands counties today. All the counties will be open for early voting by Saturday. Trustees at the University of Central Florida meet at 8.30 in Orlando. The Nonpartisan Voting Rights Lab is hosting a virtual media briefing at 10 about coverage of and expectations for Florida's vote count. Tallahassee attorney Barry Richard, the lead lawyer for the Bush campaign in the 2000 recount, will be joined by Bill Cowles, who spent more than 20 years as Orange County Supervisor of Elections. Also at 10, the Trump victory campaign holds a get-out-the-vote meetup with Trump campaign senior advisor John Pence and state senator Manny Diaz in Miami. The Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions at 11. The Visit Florida Marketing Council holds a conference call at 1 to update their marketing plan. The Space Florida Board of Directors meets at 1.30 in Orlando. The Department of Agriculture Medical Cannabis Advisory Committee meets in conference call at 4. And the North Central Florida Regional Planning Council holds an online meeting at 7. A Florida man is accused of randomly punching a customer at a McDonald's drive-thru and then threatening the store manager with a meat cleaver. Okaloosa County deputies say 40-year-old Chu Chen of Shalimar walked up to a car, punched the driver in the face without warning, then grabbed the guy's groin and bit his finger. Chen left but returned a short time later with the cleaver. 
When officers arrived, they tased the man, but it didn't appear to have any effect. Deputies say he hit one of them in the head with a chair and punched another in the chest. Chen is facing a variety of charges, including aggravated assault and battery on a law enforcement officer. Finally, state wildlife officers say they've arrested a group of poachers, including four Florida men, who captured thousands of flying squirrels that sold for more than a million dollars overseas. Flying squirrels are protected in Florida, but investigators say these poachers set 10,000 traps in central Florida counties and sold the squirrels to a wildlife dealer in Bushnell, who claimed they were bred in captivity. Buyers from South Korea would then purchase the squirrels from the dealer. They were driven in rental cars to Chicago, where a wildlife exporter would ship them to Asia. Investigators also learned that the poachers were dealing in other animals, including turtles and alligators. Four Florida men, two Georgia men, and an unidentified fugitive face a long list of criminal charges. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.